It's time to lead the people. The show for aspiring leaders at every level. If you want to boost your self-confidence, get noticed, and maximize your impact by leading others, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Matt Pepsel. Ready to lead? Follow me. My very special guest today is the founder and CEO of Live Joy Your Way and the Authentic Me Rise Up program. She's driven to support high-performing teens and adults heal their relationship with themselves and stop outsourcing their self-worth. She messes with the way people think in order to help them gain clarity and deep self-acceptance, which allows them to move forward professionally and personally. She is Kamini Wood. Welcome to the show, Kamini. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here with you. Uh, I'm excited to be having you. Now, I thought I'd get it started this way. Most of the leaders that I talk to, high achievers, and, and I can relate to this, and many times we strive to do everything, like never met a task that we didn't like, and we want to do it all perfectly or at least better than you know every, how everybody else is doing because we're super competitive. But my question to you to get us started is, what's the downside of trying to do everything and trying to do it all perfectly? Well, I get it too, because that's kind of my operating procedure has been for many years. And what, the downside to trying to do it all and doing it all perfectly is what ends up happening inevitably is we either get stuck and we can't move forward because we're waiting for the thing to be done perfectly. So we end up spinning our wheels because there's never a, this can be complete and we can move forward. And also when we're trying to do it all, we end up depleting ourselves in such a fashion that we, we actually are, are working from an empty cup. And there's very, there's a, there's difficulty in being able to then move forward in anything that we want to do because we are so depleted. Mm. Yeah, I definitely, I, I definitely see that all the time. And I certainly have experienced it myself and that that depletion is real. You know, you give something to everybody else and then you're not your best. And I know um, Jim Rohn back in the day would say, you take care of you for me and I'll take care of me for you. And I, I think that's good advice. It is good advice. You know, the one that everybody talks about and sort of brings up is the whole, um, on the airplane, you put your oxygen mask on first because, and there's, there's truth to it because you cannot actually be there for others. If you're not even there for yourself, if you are so depleted, there's not much to give to somebody else. And especially for high achievers, we tend to, and high performers, we tend to have this false belief that if I just brave face it enough or just work hard enough and keep pushing ourselves, we'll get to the thing. And it's somewhat of a false belief because at some point we've got to replenish. Otherwise we, we don't have anything else to put into the thing that we're working towards. Yeah. And a lot of times that thing that we're working towards obviously is our people, you know, trying to make sure that we're uh, servicing them and, and helping them to grow and succeed. And, and uh, I always say deliver results is really important. But what, another thing I also find when I talk to leaders is that we're never as hard in many cases on other people as we are on ourselves. And I wanted to ask you about this concept of self-compassion, uh, mm -hmm. something that you talk a lot about. And, and I, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what role does self-compassion play for us as leaders? And if we don't have it, you know, hypothetically, just asking for mm -hmm. a friend, if we don't <laughs> have it, like, how can we develop it? Well, <clears throat> self-compassion, I think, is something that we don't pay a lot of attention to. We are so, we can be compassionate to others, but for some reason, we equate self-compassion with selfishness. So I really try to talk to my clients about recognizing that self-compassion is an act of selffulness, so not selfishness. It is a concept that, that goes and leans into, and Kristen Neff is the leading researcher on this, but it, it leans into three, three concepts. One is mindfulness. That's being in the present moment 
versus living in the past because we cannot undo it. All we can do is learn from it and move forward. And it also keeps us in the present moment versus future tripping, which is worrying about everything that could possibly go wrong, you know, that we have to solve these problems that don't even exist. So that's number one. Number two is this concept of kindness over judgment. Again, we're so capable of being kind to others, but we have a really hard time being kind to ourselves. And the truth is, if we put ourselves down and we keep that inner critic going, telling us all the things that are wrong with us, while we may believe that it being negative or being harsh on ourselves pushes us forward, it only does it for a certain amount of time. And eventually we deplete ourselves to not being able to move forward. And so much is possible when we actually celebrate even our small wins, when we're kind to ourselves, even when something goes wrong, asking ourselves, you know, okay, so that didn't go the way that I wanted it to. That's not the outcome I anticipated. What did I learn? How did I, how can I use this information? Much like we would say to our child, you know, we don't berate our children. We are, we ask them, you know, well, what did you learn? How can you do, what can you do differently next time? It's giving ourselves that same compassion. And then the final one is this idea of common humanity versus isolation. I think a lot of us high achievers think that we have to go it alone. We have to, we've just got to do it ourselves. We can't really depend on anybody else. And when we do that, we, we don't use that support system and the people that we can rely on. And Brene Brown talks about this, the strength and vulnerability. It's kind of a play on that, where it's recognizing that we don't have to go it alone. We don't have to be isolated. We can ask for other people's opinions, or maybe they've had a similar experience that we can build off of. And so as leaders, when we aren't, when we aren't actually uh, being self-compassionate, we don't use these three pillars, we're keeping ourselves stuck and we're not able to move forward. So when we want this trajectory of, you know, that next level at work or whatever that may be, if we really want to get there, using self-compassion can actually help fuel that and get us to where we really want to go. I wonder if we can dig on that a little bit because I, I really uh, acknowledge, I, I see all the time exactly what you're saying. So Early in our career, sometimes I find that leaders are hard on themselves and they're demanding of themselves and they're judgmental and they get better performance as a result. And it becomes a little bit almost like an addiction. I don't want to say an addiction, but it's it's almost like you, you get the results. And now you're like, well, if that got me here and I got promoted because I stood out above my peers and so they made me a manager for the first time, that must be how I become a director or a VP or so on and so forth, or I have a bigger impact. And it turns out at some point, that's not the case. And that's where I think that that lesson you mentioned reaching the next level. How do you what advice would you have for someone who's like, yeah, but I, this is what got me here. Like, this is what I know. This is how I get performance. I know myself, but I still feel like I'm not able to reach that next level. It's really recognizing that that's just that judge, the judge saboteur that's playing in our mind, the one that wants to criticize us and put our, our put ourselves down and recognizing that that if, if we allow space for what's possible. Yes, it may have gotten you this small movement forward, but what could be possible in terms of the huge jumps and the huge leaps? And as we become self-leaders and we learn how to be self-compassionate, for instance, those are the people that we want at the top, right? Those are the ones that are going to get those big promotions because they're able to then help their own managers and team members and all the people that are under them reach that level too, right? Because they've learned it themselves. So while it may seem like it's a a move forward, if you really step back into observer mode, it's, it's really recognizing it got me this smaller jump forward mm-hmm. and what could be possible if I actually am kinder to myself and take the perspective of learning from past mistakes rather than berating myself. 
I like that. I like th I like that you're calling attention, saying, "Don't just look at what you're seeing. Look at what you're not seeing, because it's it's still what's possible for you, but you haven't embraced that yet. You're gonna have to change up your your approach, and it's gonna begin with just not being so hard on yourself. You gotta lighten up sometimes. Absolutely. You know, we learn. I'm a mom of five, and my oldest son is um, he's actually just committed to play Division One lacrosse. And one of the things that he learned very early on was if he wanted to get better, he had to stop berating himself and telling himself, you should have done this or you missed that goal. And instead it was looking at tape where he did do well, because when you look at the tapes where you do well, your highlight reel, it's not to just only look at the positive, it's also to, you know, build upon it, right? Because if we only look at the negative, we're only re-emphasizing and looking at what went wrong versus looking at, oh, wow, this actually worked really well for me. And if I lean into that strength or I lean into that way of showing up, what could be possible? I love that. I love that. And I think that as a as an early, well, first of all, congratulations, D1 lacrosse. How about that? That's got to be a proud mom <laughs> moment. I, I think that for early um, career athletes, we'll call it, as well as early career leaders, a lot of times my advice is, it's okay to try to be a little bit good at lots of things. Like you have to be reasonably well-rounded, whether it's on the lacrosse field or whether it's uh, you know in the business world. And, and you might look at a mistake that was made or, or something, and, and that might be okay. But to truly reach that next level as you become more senior, and now you're starting to talk about like D1 lacrosse, it's like you're going to have to find out what you're really good at and just really develop that because that's what it's going to take to get you to the next level. So yeah. I think, again, some of those hit, those habits that we learn as early career leaders stop serving us at a certain point. And you're like, you can't be as as critical of all the things you're not doing anymore. You're as well-rounded as you're going to get. You're reasonably good at lots of things. But if you really want to excel, you got to find that thing that is a strength for yours and watch the good tape. Concentrate on the thing that you did really well that's naturally a fit for who you are and lean into that because that's going to distinguish you and help give you your superpower compared to those other things. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of what we're talking about right now, too, is around what I would call uh, self-optimization, or I've always said that the, the toughest follower I've ever had is myself. And, and you talk about being a self-leader. What does it mean to be a self-leader? And, and I guess my question is, is, is it linear? Do I have to like totally be able to lead myself in all situations before I can lead others? No. I, so, um, when I talk about self-leadership, I think about it in three different pillars. You know, we, we hear so often self-esteem, we hear about self-confidence. And so it's that third pillar of self-compassion, right? So it's about bringing all three of those together to really see the self, the relationship with self foundation, that foundation of self is really strong. That's when you're your own self-leader. And I don't think it's that it's linear. You have to do all these things to become a leader of others, because I truly believe that we learn by teaching. So sometimes when we are teaching others or leading others, we are actually stepping into those things for ourselves. So we actually strengthen our self-leadership skills as we are leading others into that as well. So I, do, I don't think that it has to be linear. I've got to do this before this. Now, having said that, in relationships, meaning um, like personal and workplace relationships, I do believe that the that relationship with self is the foundation. So it is really important to take the time to get to know yourself and not try to fill what you might perceive as holes within yourself through other people. So I just want to put that caveat out there that there is this differentiation between being a self-leader and relationship with self in that regard where it's when we are looking to others, we don't want to look to them to fill our holes, but to complement us. 
Gotcha. 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 That makes total sense. I, I, I guess it's a kind of likely that if you see a very accomplished and respected leader in an organization, they, they probably have evolved to a point where they have made some peace with themselves. They're not perfect. They may look perfect from the outside, but they, they're more likely that they've made peace with their flaws as opposed to they don't have any. Right, right, right. And that's the thing, right? None of us are perfect. If we were perfect, we'd be done. And so it's kind yeah. of like recognizing that's about just growing and evolving and allowing that to consistently take place. And I think even the, the top leaders, the best top leaders are always looking to still grow and evolve because there is, there is always something to learn. You know, we're, we're going to make mistakes. We're humans. And it's about being able, again, we go back to compassion. How do we, how do we yeah. learn from it rather than put ourselves down? I think that that's great advice, especially in this environment that's very chaotic right now. You know, we see a lot of changes. And I, I talked to some leaders, for example, who found themselves at a pretty comfortable place. They were comfortable with their effectiveness as leaders before the pandemic. And maybe now we've returned to work, but not everybody came back. Maybe half of my team has stayed remote, you know, for various reasons, personal choice, et cetera. And now I'm trying to adapt my leadership and I'm struggling a little bit. The only point I'm trying to make is that even if if you are uh, fairly stable, doesn't mean that your environment is. And you could be thrown into a situation where all of a sudden, you know, your performance takes a hit or something changed in the nature of your company's business strategy or your familiarity or your team construct changes. And now all of a sudden, this is exactly the time to give yourself some grace and to be compassionate because you're not going to do A plus work in an environment that's swirling around you all the time. Absolutely. I do think that that's a great point. I think the pandemic has taught us this concept of really learning how to give ourselves grace as the environment changes, that uh, some things are outside of our control. And it in focusing back on what is within my control, what do I have the ability, you know, to do to work on? How do I choose to show up? How do I choose to react to a situation versus things that are outside of, out of outside of our control or outside of our domain? Because a lot of times, I think, especially with high achievers, we can take on the responsibility that is for things that are outside of our control, and then our own self-worth takes a hit, or we feel like we're not good enough. And when that starts to sink in, it makes it very difficult to continue on that trajectory forward, especially in a professional sense. I'm going to pretend like you're not talking just directly to me, but I think all of our listeners get to participate and, and, and take, some, take some nuggets out of that. But I think we're talking about transformation. And in the end of the day, we're talking about how the, the transformation of the environment around us, how we ourselves have to grow and constantly grow. And I know that you went through your own self-transformation. And I wanted to see if you tell us a little bit about your own experience with uh, what you refer to as as your external expectations, which we just were touching on, but also a phrase that, that I love, which is being a validation hostage. I wonder if you just yep. tell us a little bit more about those things. Yeah. So my story really begins with the fact that I am first generation American. So both of my parents uh, immigrated in their teens, grew up in a small town in Connecticut. Um, so, you know, growing up as an Indian girl in a predominantly white town, I stuck out. Um, and also, so you have that and also immigrant parents who are really trying to provide for their family, working really hard. So my story really was um, one of not to burden my parents and also trying to fit in. So I instantaneously or not instantaneously, but over time became this people pleaser who didn't want to make waves, avoided conflict, because as long as people were happy with me or happy in general, then I would fit in, be accepted. And also I wasn't this burden to my parents. 
So I carry that through into adulthood. I am also a high achiever. So I wanted to prove my worth. And the way that I did that was the validation of others. Oh my gosh, A student, you're amazing, right? That's a validation. Oh, you're so nice and kind. You do all these things for everybody. Another validation. So that was my story. That's where I got fed. That became the, you're only worthy if other people are recognizing what you're doing for them. And then, of course, I get into adulthood and become a mother, and that was my catalyst, where my kids started emulating that, right? They started repeating that behavior, all that concept of epigenetics and so forth. And I recognized if I did not make a shift in myself, then that was just going to repeat itself. I needed to show up differently for me and then for my children in order for them to recognize their worth does not come from the validation of others. It does not come from pleasing others. It needs to be an inside-out perspective. And so that was really my personal transformation of going from this place of living to my worth is tied to other people saying good job into my own recognition of when I show up, I'm in alignment with my value system. That is that is when I know that I am living into who I need to be, not attached to somebody telling me, hey, Kamini, good job. You're amazing. What a great, great. That, that feels lovely, but I'm no longer attached to it being my worth. I like it. Yeah, that it's, it's, it's very powerful when you can have that awareness and actually do something about it. And I, I think like I always encourage leaders thinking you're always on. Everyone's always watching. It may not seem like it, but they are. And that's certainly true of kids, as you mentioned. And so now what a great example of leading by example, which is saying, here's something that I don't want for these people who are following me, or in this case of my own children. And so if I'm going to make sure that they don't get burdened with this, I've got to change it myself. And, and that happens at work that happens, you know, ideally in, in those situations that I love that example. And it's just so easy once you get a little bit of that validation, especially for higher achievers, I feel like we're really susceptible to that. You get to, you you start saying, well, that that is the only self judgment that matters. Is yep. you know when I'm getting the good job, the attaboy, and it's never enough. It's like an empty hole, and then yep. it's it, it might not even come from places that you really care about. And you wake up and you're like, why did I even care about that? That's not what really drives or motivates me. But I just got so conditioned to looking for that validation. I just kind of mm -hmm. fell into it by habit. That's scary. Yes, yes, you're right though. It it is an empty hole because you get the attaboy, out of girl, and then you. It's where am I going to get the next one? Where am I going to get the next one? And there's never, it almost becomes this um, evolution of I'll be happy when, because right. we're constantly looking for the next, the next validation. Yeah. And, and quickly, I want to touch on one more related topic, which is like what we're talking about is, is what I would call simple, but not easy. Right. So this concept of having, you know, being compassionate with yourself and making sure that you're finding that inner source of validation as opposed to externalities. Uh, but it's not easy. And it, it takes a lot of energy to do the self-work, the hard work. And we're in an environment right now where I got to tell you, comedy, I don't think anybody's at their best. I think people are overworked, overscheduled. Something I believe has changed in society coming out where there's been this sort of rug pulled out from underneath us of safety, but not quite safety. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. people are really not. So, so it leads me to this question of resilience. And my question is, as leaders, we have to find ways to build up our resilience, but how can we best do that? How do you work with your, your clients and people in your world to help them to develop resilience uh, so that they've got the, the sort of uh, insulation to be able to go through these, these challenging uh, topics that we've been talking about? 
Yeah, and you know that's a really good point. Is that it's, it, this isn't easy. Self work is not easy. It's it's meant, and it's not something that can be done like a one and done, right? It's going to take time, and and part of it is learning to give yourself grace, grace over time to work on the things, and then it goes down to just you know how do we build up a resilience? We've got to pay attention to our environment. Is our environment one that is feeding us or detracting from us? You know, are we things as basic as what what does our activity level look like? We need to make sure that we are maybe adding some activity into our everyday because physical activity is it's the natural way to reduce our cortisol levels, which is that stress hormone. It, there are natural endorphins that happen. How are we eating? You know, making sure that we are eating something, eating in a way that fills us up in a, in a healthy way and, and fuels our energy. And then, of course, you know, who is our support system? Who are we talking to? Who are we, who are who are our people, our safe people that we can become vulnerable with because there is strength and vulnerability, right? So that we don't mask our emotions. It's so important to name what we're feeling, you know, and then ask ourselves, well, what do I need? And then help ourselves source it, whether through ourselves or with the help of the, our support system. These are all little elements that we have to put into place so that we can raise our resiliency factor. Because when our resiliency factor, if we were to think about it with an analogy of um, like resiliency being the water level and we are a boat, if our resiliency factor or resiliency level is so low, eventually the boat is going to crash. So these are just the elements that go into raising that water level so that our boat can continue to float and we can continue to sail along the way. I like it. That's a very nice actionable list that we can evaluate to see where are we doing well and you know, you may find a place where maybe my nutrition's off a little bit. Well, here's an opportunity for both grace and action. No big deal. Don't be too hard on yourself, but you do need to do something different if you're going to get the right energy, you know, into your body and into your life. So exactly. I like it. Well, comedy, another way that I like to build resilience, of course, is through humor and lightness. <laughs> and so when I was thinking about you and I got to the point where I wanted to write a, a fun game for you. I knew that you were a mother of five. I found that very impressive. I don't often meet people that have more kids than I do with my three. And so I wrote a game for you called Slap Me Five. Slap Me Five. And I want to, I'm going to give you a, a couple of things that come in fives. And okay. uh, I want to see how many you can name. Okay. So okay. some of these are easier than others. We're going to start with one that's super easy. How about the five vowels? Uh, A-E-I-O-U. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Next one's easy, and then we get into a more tricky one. Uh, how about the five senses? Oh, okay. So we got the sense of smell, the sense no. of hearing, the sense of taste, the sense of touch, and the sense of, um, oh my gosh, I, I use the five senses all the time. So we've got uh, sight. Yes. Did I say Perfect. sight already? Okay. Yeah, you got it. That's, that's good <laughs> now you get the one that tripped me up every time. I'm terrible at this one. Five Great Lakes. Oh, Lord. I used to know this. Huron, Huron, yeah. Huron, yes, um, Ontario, uh -huh. Michigan, Erie, Superior. Oh my gosh, comedy's crushing this. That is exactly right. <laughs> That's probably percent. it. That's probably as much as I'll be able to do. <laughs> I know. This, is, this one's not so bad. I would definitely get this one. Military branches. Military branches. So we've got yeah. the Army, the Navy, the Marine Corps. Definitely. Coast Guard. Yeah. Coast Guard. Only one more. Um, Air Force. Bing, man. Absolutely crush it. <laughs> and the, I saved the hardest one for last. How about Spice Girls? Oh. <laughs> I had to look this one up. Sporty. Yes. Posh. Yes. That's all I got for you. <laughs> well, we have a baby, a ginger, and a scary. 
that's right. Yeah, how about that's that? Right. That's yeah. awesome. You destroyed <laughs> that game. That was awesome. I never would have gotten any of the Great Lakes. That was awesome. I tell you, Comedy, I've only got one last question for you, which is where can my listeners go to learn more about you? They can go to comedywood.com uh, for my website. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram with the handle of It's Authentic Me. Beautiful. I'm going to include those links in the show notes in the description. So listeners, you're only one click away from that episode description to find comedy on all the places. Comedy, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you so much. Here are my wonderfully worthy top three takeaways from today's episode. One, replenish for the win. High achievers are particularly susceptible to spreading themselves thin in the pursuit of positive results. Remember to rest and recuperate when needed. Two, accentuate the positive. Resist the urge to dwell on what you could have done better. Take the opportunity to appreciate what you're doing right and determine how you can take that to the next level. Three, develop complementary strengths. The act of leadership and developing others has the win-win effect of boosting your own capabilities. Help one another get better for twice the success. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider hitting the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for making this investment your leadership ability, and thanks for sharing this podcast with another aspiring leader who needs to hear it. All right, leaders, until next time, don't just manage the business when you can lead the people. Sporty? Yes. Posh? Yes.